and welcome back to Real Clear with Dr. Klein, the crossroads of politics and psychology. If you would like to listen to ad-free episodes and have access to daily and weekly releases, essays, and other membership perks, and you also want to help in the production of this program, go to realclearpodcast.com and click subscribe. There are a lot of places in this world where you can put your money, and so I thank you for considering membership to realclearpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Welcome back to Thinking Kind with Lucas Klein. In this seventh episode of Thinking Kind, I'm going to be addressing postmodernism. This is entitled Postmodernism to Build or to Destroy. A quick note before we begin. It is an exciting episode because I have just passed the thousand listener mark in under a month. I had no idea that things would grow this fast and I'm very pleased to see that they are, and it looks like uh, Thinking Kind is on trend to reach 10,000 listeners within three months. So I don't quite know what to do with that kind of growth. I didn't expect it, but I will take this as a sign that whatever I'm doing here is working. Also, an update and addition to the podcast. I'm thinking about creating two additions to the site and the podcast. First will be a poet's corner. I will humbly offer one of my own as a first entry and read it on air. And I'll also have a section on the site where anyone can submit their own written works. And I may read them on air, or if it works out, I could have guests on to read things that they have written. Freud said that anywhere he thought he had gone originally, he found a poet had been there before. And so I think poets lead the way in many aspects of experience. Number two will be a guest writing section. I plan on having a column in the website, thinkingkind.com, where people can submit their original works to me for review. And I may potentially feature them on the site. And if it works out, I could have the author, perhaps one of you listening now, on to discuss the piece. And that could be an interactive uh, interview style podcast session. More on those things to come. For now, let's get into postmodernism, to build or to destroy. I have been running through ways of communicating to my audience about major philosophical changes in Western society, in particular in American society in the past decade. I have struggled to produce this episode in particular. That's why this is coming two weeks after the previous episode. It has been a struggle to explain what postmodernism is, how it is reactive to events in history. It proved too complicating to catalog the major philosophers and their positions, and also eventually say what I wanted to say to you in the first place. I managed to create a 40-minute episode where I detailed the pre-postmodernists like Nietzsche, Heidegger, Hegel, Marx, and Freud, as well as the fringe characters like Lacan. I then went on to explain the actual French postmodernists, such as Derrida, Lyotard, and Foucault, chief amongst them. In the end, this didn't work. I was trying to pack too much into too short of a time. I do want this podcast to be a condensed and useful experience for you. 
not a pedantic display of what I can intellectually consume and relay. So this podcast should be about 20 minutes. And here is a brass tacks, but I hope also useful and complex summary of what is happening in American and Western society philosophically at present. I want to be straightforward about my background as best I can. I will not claim to be equidistant from each of the camps of philosophy that I will describe in this episode. I have valued since quite an early age a striving for universal ideals and for the building of wisdom, both individually and collectively. I have also had reason to be highly skeptical of claims of knowledge, however, and have indeed possessed a somewhat critical attitude myself, again from quite a young age. Both of these ways of engaging with existence are present within each person, and balancing them, neither completely settling in on one's view of meaning, nor seeking to tear down everything that claims to be useful, seems like the best way that I can find to conduct myself. Let's get into it. I'm going to start by outlining some camps of philosophy. There are classical and metaphysical philosophers. Meta means next to, so think of next to physics. These folks have, for thousands of years, been trying to build a system of knowing that aims to uncover first principles, or explanatory ways of looking at the universe, causation, existence, and finding what underlies existence itself is a focus of this group. They want to know what the world and particularly experience, is underwritten by. They are looking, in essence, for truth, and metapsychology, in particular, and metaphysics, result in what are called grand narratives. They are the folks who are looking at the universe and wondering what it all means. Aristotle, Plato, and Descartes, and others, are interested in also determining best practices for living and they aspire to transcend limitations of common knowledge. They are, in a sense, builders, who believe that we can layer on top of past knowledge and aspire towards something like a better existence. The Stoics, Marcus Aurelius, and so forth, also fall into this category. How do we control our baser instincts, and how can humans ascend beyond what is banal and primitive? Obviously, this points to the ascetic philosophers as well like the theological ascetics who take up this issue chiefly in the context of religion. The seculars don't need religious can. Tools of the metaphysicists involve rationality, empiricism, and taking account of a world that can be discovered through the appropriate epistemology. There is a second camp that has received much attention in recent years. Many of you may have heard other prominent voices say, like Jordan Peterson, discuss postmodernist philosophy and its perils. While I have not listened to the full extent of what he has to say, or what others have to say on the issue, from what I have listened to, it's not made entirely clear to the listener what postmodernism is, and so I hope to add quite a bit to what's been said. Postmodernism is is itself evasive of being defined. That's one of the reasons it is hard to define. It does not consider a discrete definition to be useful 
and in fact claims that it has no overarching claims of what is good or what is truthful. The postmodernists are a camp of philosophers who believe that the construction of meaning is more important than discovering underlying structures of existence, like the classical philosophers who I previously described. They believe that what is seen as true or good is only seen from a particular vantage point of being in the world as an interactive observer, and hence one can never see existence or see reality with objective clarity. The more prominent voices do believe that reality exists, but that we should be humble about our ability to see and to measure it. I disagree with nothing that I just said. That is a very useful way of looking at existence and being humble about your ability to see with a God's eye view. The French extension of this school, however, are what are commonly referred to as French postmodernists, and they're heavily influenced by Marx and a particularly strange usage of Freud. They believe that what is seen as true, good, or even effective is based only on the context of perspective, similar to and building from the German phenomenologists like Martin Heidegger. But they believe that such a context of perspective is wholly reliant on power structures in society. So power structures create the context which is fundamental to perspective. Essentially, they believe the following. The powerful are always telling, showing, or providing pressure to us plebeians on what is true and good, because those narratives, explicit and subtle, fit the powerful's narrative, a narrative about what is good. The powerful only give us a version of what is good and meaningful, and this slanted narrative makes us servants of an illusion of truth. And they don't say this outright, but their positions present people as passive recipients of a world of experience. The method of overturning passivity and becoming an active agent of worldly experience is called deconstruction. To deconstruct is to question everything, especially what is told to you, of what has been considered conventional wisdom. Nothing is considered trustworthy, except the aim to deconstruct. No source of information, no canon, no dictates shall be heralded as better than any others. This is what Jordan Peterson meant when he formulated postmodernism as basically no outcome is better than any other outcome. I'm adding a bit more flesh on that bone. Postmodernism uh, as a philosophy believes that any group can be identified or that can be identified as being in power should be viewed as being suspect, and everything they say should be carefully reviewed for integrity. It's not a bad idea. So, what is good about postmodernism? I hope you see the ironic modernist and metaphysical aspect of my question, because to attempt to define what is good about something is antithetical to postmodernism. Nevertheless, it is generally good to question what is commonly understood to be good and truthful. I hardly need to explain why that is so. It is also a useful movement in philosophy to focus on what it means to exist here in time and space, rather than to exclusively aim to transcend those trappings of existence and look towards something underlying. 
If you would like to listen to ad-free episodes and have access to daily and weekly releases, essays, and other membership perks, and you also want to help in the production of this program, go to realclearpodcast.com and click subscribe. There are a lot of places in this world where you can put your money, and so I thank you for considering membership to realclearpodcast.com. What is strange about postmodernism, and frankly incredibly facile, is the following. They seem to regard themselves as novel. They are not. The ancient skeptics, invented by Pyro of Elis, have been around for thousands of years. The postmodernists, as far as I can tell, from what I have reviewed so far, pay very little homage to the ancient Greeks, their forebearers, actually. Number two. This is really a question. Does postmodernism present its own grand narrative by assuming that it is generally good for the world to just deconstruct every belief? They claim that this is not a belief or a grand narrative, but that it is really just an emphasis on tearing things down. It is a method of deconstructing and questioning. That's not a very compelling argument. And it goes against the fact that postmodernists have ironically presented their own seeking of a better world through deconstruction. That is a grand narrative by another name. Following on this point, number three, to what extent does postmodernism allow people to make sense of the world, since its underlying supposition is that sense, or rationality, or reason, is always couched in power structures and is suspect? And just how do they view themselves then as possessing the tools to deconstruct without a similarly tainted use of reason? Point number four is that it is impossible to trust a group of people who fundamentally set out to destroy reason and sense. How exactly can one enter into a conversation with somebody if that person is intent on warping dialogue so that reason is not possible? This last point has less to do with uh, typical postmodernism and more to do with critical theories that deserves more attention further down the road. Postmodernists do not set out, however, to help or build each other into something better or help their conversants build an idea. While it is true that they believe ironically that a sense of justice can be achieved by tearing down convention or wisdom, they explicitly set out implicitly to make enemies out of those who are trying to build. Take postmodernism in the context of art. Art museums have been built through history in order to house what people viewed as beautiful. Beautiful has typically been based on visual aesthetics, and to some degree, an accurate and embellishing representation of what exists in the world naturally. Postmodernists then began putting items and arrangements into these houses of art, and then borrowed the term art, which then could be applied to things that had never been considered visually pleasing. The term art has then been, for all intensive purposes, radically altered, and perhaps 
successfully deconstructed, maybe even destroyed. Art was then seen to be an intention of the artist and an interaction with the artist and viewer, and meaning and messages, rather than artistic skill, were then seen to be the main drivers of what could be considered artistic. Take, for example, the case in the 1960s regarding Piero Manzoni. He was a postmodernist artist who defecated in 90 cans and labeled his work artist's shit. I'm afraid many other examples can be found of an identical nature. And well, insofar as postmodernist art says that its artistic value is in the metaphorical interaction between the so-called piece of art and the viewer, I guess it would be accurate to say from my own meaning-making perspective that what they do is shit. Quite literally, in cases like these, there is a preying on the insanity that exists within all people. Lining up to purchase cans of excrement that you consider to be art is nothing short of engaging with the aspect of ourselves that is boundaryless, departs from convention utterly, and is willing to tear down established understanding. This established understanding of things like beauty and artistic design is an heirloom of thousands of years of human history. Tear it down at our own expense. If we cannot say that one thing is categorically better, more skilled, more pleasing, more truthful than another thing in a given category, then there is no such thing as progress. In fact, Nietzsche, a building block of postmodernism, does not believe in progress through time. He believes that experience and history is an eternal return of the same, representing a circularity to time in his view, which, in my view, was really born out of his traumatic loss of his father and significant emotional difficulties that plagued him the rest of his life. No philosopher can be decontextualized from his life experience. It loads into how he sees the world and how he writes. While I can empathize with Nietzsche's loss, I am not willing to assent to public discourse along the lines of the meaningless, the progress, progresslessness, the totally circular, and the nihilistic. This leads into what I am now calling street postmodernism. As embodied by the Western societies and particularly American sophists, as well as the followers of political movements. Sophistry is simply a word that means someone who makes seemingly valid arguments that are actually based on spurious assumptions and positions. True to form for the Thinking Kind podcast, I see postmodernists and sophists on both sides of the political spectrum. I would actually call Donald Trump a sophist, of course, and a postmodernist. He is skeptical of anything that comes from a base of knowledge outside of his preferred vision. His more ardent followers are highly skeptical of evidence, reason, and even video footage that contradicts their chosen narrative. The left in America has, however, been building an actual pedagogy around sophistry and postmodernism. 
Or perhaps they laid the groundwork as well for the far right in this way. The left explicitly rejects the use of evidence, reason, empirical facts, and science. Many even going so far as to say those who would use science to understand the world are evincing scientism, which is the claim that empirical methodology is the only meaningful path towards uh, truth and wisdom. I, of course, don't believe it is, but it is foundational and necessary. They have gone so far as to also recently in time state that a value on qualitative reasoning and evidence is a sign of microaggressions in conversations and is also representative of only European identities. Please listen to my previous podcasts on defending reason and evidence, as well as the second episode on what does cancel culture really cancel for more on this subject. I find it to be outrageously ironic as a turn of events that the corner of academics who despise the striving toward so-called truth and the American presentation of evidence, the American, the scientific presentation of evidence, that they have been part and partial to a political movement in America whose proponents are often heard odiously stating that they are speaking truth to power. Truth, eh? Okay. Perhaps I will detail this irony in a further episode and include the Frankfurt School's part to play in this distortion. Indeed, it will need to be another episode because the detailing of critical theories, and there are many, uh, their ties to postmodernism and the serious fractures that are splitting the Western world as a result is an enormous issue. For now, it's important for you to know that critical theories take up the skeptical aim of postmodernism and they use it toward a social emancipation for groups that they believe are oppressed through power structures. This is nothing if not a grand narrative of justice, and it is a focus on a presumed good. So, as postmodernism presupposes critical theories and gives it leeway, critical theories are a peculiar growth from its skeptical mandate into a grand narrative. There's much more to come on that in a separate episode. Something postmodernists seem to be unable to recognize is that reason itself is concerned with what is unreasonable. And so there is a sea of logicians in the world who are a self-correcting system for ideas which are untenable and flawed. I might say that postmodernism is actually suffering amidst that sea right now as it is being dissected by such people as yours truly. A paranoid skepticism with its own version of utopia through deconstruction is hardly necessary to promote the use of logic and reason. I think one reason I am coining the term street postmodernism is particularly to capture how the various critical theories have grown. In fact, many of them in their foundational texts mandate that they are not just promoting a theory and trying to make arguments, but that people must take up the cause in an actual applied movement, a collection of theorists, 
so describe, who have the goal of activism. This is not like most other academic areas, and it is why there are so many espousing critical theory usage who have very little understanding of how the sausage is made. Critical theory seeks upheaval and revolution in the social world. It is not concerned with unity, universal principles, and it does not view unification of interests as even ideal. Again, there's much more to come on this. It's a big subject. It is, shall we say, all the rage these days. Returning to the divide in the American West, I am truly unsure how we would bring these warring factions together. Perhaps there is a way that we can conceptualize them as quite similar, the political uh, divides, that is. They seem to be a strange amalgamation, each of them, of postmodernism with religious zealotry. Yes, they have different foundational political ideologies, but each each wage war on reason and evidence. Perhaps all that can be done is for those of us who would like to at least aspire toward a Western pedagogy of building and creating towards something better or universally explanatory, that we can do so humbly while acknowledging that we are all frighteningly limited in our ability to do such a thing, and yet remain stoutly supportive of empiricism rejecting absurd accusations that people make about motives of the use of evidence, of those who would use evidence, I should say, of those of us who would like to try to wield reason and evidence as our foremost tools of engagement in the public discourse on how we will live together. Well, I think this may have turned out okay. If you think so too, please share it with somebody. And go to thinkingkind.com. You can find everything you need there about the podcast. Please consider going to Patreon and subscribing. I'm grateful for your listenership, and I'll see you next time.